It's a beautiful song with a profound truth that for many of us, we find difficult to sing. Through it all, you see, each one of us carries with us weight. There's not a person in this room that is not carrying with them things done to them, things done by them, things that are currently being done, things that have been done in the past that continue to haunt us. And we carry it wherever we go. And there are seasons like the first part of the year where we make resolutions. We think that we're going to find some sort of satisfaction, some sort of balm, some sort of healing. And then the days go by and we realize that the baggage is still there. Today we begin a series called Baggage, where we look as a church family to how it is that Jesus, the God of the universe, brings healing, addressing the baggage. We, many of us, have fallen into the trap of believing that church people have their act together. Let me, know, let me tell you, I'm in an industry where I'm around church people a lot. They're a mess, just like me. And it is so important to me to know that Jesus offers healing because I carry baggage just like you. Just like you, even when I find healing in one area, I discover that I've unleashed others. Even when I feel like I'm making progress here, I, I fall back into old habits or perhaps new habits and the baggage keeps compounding. Today, we're going to look at a particular uh, arena of baggage that many of us carry with us, though many of us may not say it out loud. It's the area of addiction. Addiction is one of those areas that depending on what the addiction, uh, what you're addicted to, depending on what you're addicted to, there's a level of taboo and shame depending on the thing, depending on your cultural moment. Uh, there are some forms of addiction that many people heap shame and scorn and how dare they, those horrible people. And then there are other forms of addiction that are generally treated apathetically and there are even some forms of addiction that are elevated. Oh, that worker that's giving 172 hours a week. I don't think there's that many hours in the week, is there? Oh, that worker who's pouring their life and soul into earning. Give them a plaque. Oh, we're not going to call it addiction. No, we're going to call it work ethic. And yet in other cultures, that form of addiction is shamed whereas other forms are celebrated. So it really depends on your cultural moment. But all of us, all of us, whether it's substance abuse, pornography, sex, power, money, codependency, all of us, to one degree or the other, have tasted what it feels like to be entrapped by something. You see, addiction for those of us who feel it, 
it feels like we're surrounded by enemies and they're closing in. Our freedom is gone. Every decision that we make, every plan for the future that we have, it's framed within the confines of this thing that has ensnared us. And every one of us, to one degree or the other, has felt what it feels like to be trapped. You and I, we are designed, we are created to enjoy the good things in life. And our bodies are wired in such a way to steer us away from uh, pain and damage and to steer us towards health. And yet when we abuse good things that God has created, it begins to rewire us in such a way that our bodies become short-circuited and we begin to over-pursue or over-desire a thing, a person, a place, or a position. And it, was, it is within that over-desire, seeking uh, joy in that thing in abusive ways that we can do harm to ourselves and to others. And it can trap us. Today, collectively, we are going to look to the ancient wisdom found in Psalm 30. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. Psalm chapter 30 is a song written by a person who believes in God, and you see this process within the psalm. And by the way, a psalm is a song prayer. So it's a song and a prayer psalm. And the songwriter has multiple steps, and I'm going to read the text in just a moment. I'll read it all the way through, then we're going to go back and look at some of those steps, because it may be that it would help guide us as we seek healing as well. So I'm going to read Psalm 30. I'll read it in one foul swoop. See if you can pick up. Uh, There's some infamous lines in this text. Some of them we've sang a moment ago. There's some infamous lines here, but there's also an ordering of things that may help us as we think through uh, the process. This is Psalm 31 through 12. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. Real quick, that's another way of what we might call hell. You brought me up from Sheol or hell. You spared me from among those going down into the pit. Another way to say the grave. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed me your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain, but when you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen to me and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there are multiple steps in the life of this songwriter. Let's see if we can, I'll bring them up here on the screen. These are the steps or the phases of the songwriter. Number one, recognition. Number two, trust and action. And number three, peace and rejoicing. You see, number one, recognition that he is surrounded by his enemies. 
Number two, you have trust in the Lord, and then you have action. The songwriter does something in obedience to the Lord. And then finally, peace and rejoicing. You, 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 if you've been to a funeral, one of the infamous lines that you'll hear at a funeral is, though there is pain or darkness or despair in the night, joy comes in the morning and you get the peace and rejoicing. Let's take a look at it. First, recognition. You'll see it a few times in the text. Uh, First, you have him say, you have lifted me up and have not allowed my, what? Enemies to triumph over me. You have brought me up from Sheol. What's that another word for? Hell, I can't believe you cursed in church. You brought me up from hell. You spared me from among those going down into the pit. Another way to say the grave. What's this songwriter saying? I am broken. If you want healing, if you want to be made whole, your first step is recognizing your brokenness. And there are many of us, to be blunt, and I've done this a thousand times over, we either ignore the problem or we are so far into it that we're completely unaware and we're missing, we're missing what our friends, what our family, and what our God is telling us. Yeah. Friends, your first step to healing is recognition. God, I'm, I'm in the pit. I'm going into hell. I feel like I'm entrapped by my enemies. I feel surrounded. God, where are you? God, I'm dying here. Do you see what the songwriter is showing you? A moment in his life where he felt surrounded by his enemies. Now, Psalm 30 uh, is, uh, it, it, it's a, um, It basically speaks to multiple times in the life of the songwriter. This may be speaking about a time when actual military enemies were coming in at the songwriter. It may also speak to a moment where the songwriter, who was a leader, a king, uh, where their land was experiencing a great plague, and many people were dying, and this plague is encompassing all around. How many of you know that addiction, regardless of what the addiction form is, how many of you know that addiction feels like a plague? It feels just like enemies with spears coming in. It feels like the only end in sight is death. Some of you have friends, some of you have family that are in despair. There's nothing at the end except my doom, my death. Lord, I am in the pit. I am in the grave. Lord, where are you? I feel like I'm surrounded by my enemies and they are pulling me into hell. The songwriter recognizes that they are broken. The other thing the songwriter notices is this, that one of the key things to do in the moments around recognizing that you're broken is to take it before God in prayer. You'll notice the songwriter says, I'm going down to hell, so who does he talk to? He looks up and says, God, where are you? I'm being dragged down. And let me tell you this, friends. Let me, I, 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 okay, listen. The king and creator of the universe knew you before you were formed. There is nothing that you have done or can do that surprises God. So you might think by hiding it that you're actually hiding something. Let me tell you, you are not. Moreover, you are built 
You are designed to take your pain, to take your I'm going to hell right now ness of your soul. You are designed not to bear that on your own, but to take it to God in prayer. And let me tell you, friends, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, knows what it feels to be abandoned, betrayed, and abused. When you pray, you pray to one who not only knows cognitively what it's like, but one who experientially knows what it's like to be broken. We are designed to pray our recognition. God, I am undone. Friends, have you done that? Or are there areas of your life that you're saying, God, you can have my Sunday, God, can, you can have this, but don't come into this room of my house. Friends, there is healing in the confession. There will not be shame. There will not, he is not standing there with a stick. There are open arms when we go to our Father in prayer. And you're not going to surprise him. The father knows the prodigal son and daughter. And the father says, come here. Have you recognized and have you gone gone to God in prayer? You'll see the second thing is trust in action. He trusts in the Lord. We'll take a look at the text. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. I cried. What's that? It's an action. Lord, listen to me. Be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. Lord, I trust you to help me here. What's the songwriter saying? Help me. Help me. And heal me. Trust in action. Number one, the songwriter is saying that you can trust your God. Your God has good in store for you. When it comes to areas of addiction, Again, regardless of what the addiction is, when it comes to areas in our life that have enmeshed us, have entangled us, we oftentimes fool ourselves into thinking that there will be more joy in continuing down this addictive behavior than there will confessing and turning to the Lord. And P.S., healing always involves pain. Oh, friends, this is not easy, but it is good. It is not comfortable, but it is holy. It is not my preferences. When I go to the doctor, when I'm broken, I go to the doctor and I say, Doc, I'm willing to do anything as long as it doesn't conflict with my preferences and my comfort. (laughs) You see, I I am called in those things, those, those things that entangle me, I'm called to not only release it to the Lord through prayer, but I'm called to trust in his goodness, that the path that he has for me is good, that even though it will contradict my comfort, it will contradict my preferences, it will contradict the way that I choose, that I would choose to spend my time if it were just up to me, that it would contradict the, the way that I feel. I mean, God's gonna tell me to do things like, like talk to other people about it. Like some of you. I don't wanna do that. I don't like most of you. I mean, I love you because I have to because I'm a pastor, but you know, like, like seriously, one of the reasons that we choose not health but rather to maintain in our addictions, one of the things that we've done is we've allowed these things to maintain hold of us, and, and there are some of us who, at, the, at our heart of hearts, we're not sure if we believe that God is good. And friends, let me tell you that he is so good. He is so good. He has for you healing, even though, it, it, even though there is pain in the night, joy cometh in the morning. And that morning's coming. That's right. He's so 
good. He loves you so much. And he's proven it to you. The God of the universe took on flesh. Jesus Christ, killed at the hands of his own creation, died for you and for me that we might be reconciled to God. He did that for you because he loves you. He loves you so much. He is so good, you can trust him. But also, we not only trust, we recognize, we pray, we trust, and then we what? We act in obedience. Nobody likes that word obedience because it means that I'm broken and I don't have it all together. And so I'm gonna have to submit myself to the will of, to the wisdom of, I'm gonna have to trust myself to God. And God will oftentimes use his people to bring healing in your life. And we don't want to trust and obey. We just want comfort now. Friends, I I don't know what obedience and trust look like in your life, but I'm gonna ask you right now to ask yourself this question. In the brokenness in my life, in the areas in my life where I am entrapped, where I am ensnared, what does trust and God-directed action look like? What does obedience look like for you right now? What is God calling you to do now? Oh, he's so good. He loves you so much. He stands there saying, come, come, I have healing, come to me. What is your next move? As a church family, we want to be a part of helping equip you to do that. Uh, I'm going to ask us to do something. And here, let me just take a quick time out. We strive to create and foster safe spaces in which each of us can confess to one another, can be open with one another. But I want to be very clear. Though we foster, or though we strive to foster those types of environments, I'm going to make you a 100% guarantee. I guarantee that you will be sinned against by people in this church family. I mean, it'll probably be me first if it hasn't already happened because we are all broken. And so please do not, I'm not not making promises that, oh, you could just walk up to anybody and tell them how it is that you're enmeshed or you're entangled in sin and they're gonna handle it well. Many of us, myself included, have not handled that well. But we strive to be a place where there's openness, honesty, and freedom to find healing regardless of the nature or the taboo of our addictions. With that said, we as a church family are committed to not only talking about this but actually moving into it. I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. I'm gonna ask, and just, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a Desert Springs person or not, whether you think you need this or not, I'm gonna ask everyone to pull out your phones, if you would, please. Even if you're not gonna do anything with it, that's fine. I just want everyone to pull out their phones. I want you to turn them on. And I'm gonna put a phone number up here on the screen. I'm gonna ask you to text the word baggage to 55222, and here's why. We're gonna send you, as discreetly, as anonymously as we can, we're gonna send you the resources that we have at our disposal and within our community around areas of addiction, uh, addiction to pornography, addiction uh, related to alcohol, substance abuse, codependency. Uh, It could be things related to abuse or abusive situations that you've been in, so not addiction, but abuse. We have those resources for you. We wanna get those to you. 
And whether or not you are ready to take that next step, it may well be that you know someone who is going to ask you or who, who, who is going to need that information for that next step. I'm going to ask you to do that. This is something that we're going to do as a church family, and the reason is, is so that we can do this in a free way, in a way that doesn't isolate, in a way that no one individual feels like, I'm the only one in here doing this. You guys with me on that? Okay, so as a church family, we're committed to try and striving to do this in a safe and healthy way. Following Jesus on the path to healing means giving up our comfort, our preferences, and our convenience. But it leads to something. Check out the last step of the Psalter. We'll put it up here. Peace and rejoicing. Listen to what the songwriter says. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. You turn my mourning or my lament into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. What's the songwriter saying? I am healed. Thank you, God. Some of us have experienced healing. And when you sing, it is well with my soul, it means something so special and so powerful to you. But there are many of us who can't sing that song. There are many of us who say healing, yeah, right. And let me give you, I don't, I'm not here to give you false promises. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. But here's the rub. For most of us, it's not tomorrow morning. Jesus loves you so much. He calls you, come, find healing in me. But that process may take your whole life. That morning may be when he comes again and restores all that which is broken. But know this. Though you might feel surrounded by your enemies, though you might feel like you are being dragged into hell, though you might feel like there is no hope, friends, there is pain right now, but joy comes in the morning. And the reason I know that, and the reason that I say that to you, and the reason I know that that's not false hope is Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he conquered over Satan, sin, and death. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, even till the end, when I come back and make everything that's broken whole again. I want that for you. Do you know that today? There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I don't know when that morning will be for you, but I know Jesus is so good. And when we recognize the brokenness and the, the ways that we're entrapped within us, when we recognize that, we can go to him in prayer, and he receives us with no shame. And when we go to him, we can trust in his goodness. And as we act in obedience, following him in whatever path he has for us towards health, we can trust that it's good, even if it's painful. And at the end of this journey, whether it's tomorrow morning or that ultimate morning in the future, there is joy there. Amen. Your end is not in despair, but in joy and delight in the Lord. We have seen in our church family, I've had just such a privilege to be able to see God take people on this journey in various ways, in various forms of brokenness, 
It's such a joy as a, as, uh, for me personally just to be able to serve you in this way. But there's one story we wanted to share with you. And it's the story of Cameron and Lisa. Would you direct your attention to the screens, please? Uh, my name's Cameron Smith. I'm Lisa Smith. And uh, we are the men's and women's leaders at uh, Celebrate Recovery here at Desert Springs Bible Church. Um, we've been coming here for about... Uh, eight years. Just drove by Desert Springs, you know, on my way to work and decided to check them out and went to the Saturday night service. Um, and, you know, we've been coming ever since. It just feels like home, feels like family. So um, that was how we started coming here. Uh, before Lisa and I met, um, I went through some struggles when I was a young adult. And out of that, I ended up developing a pretty serious gambling problem. Um, knew full well we needed to do better when we moved down here, and unfortunately, things just got a lot worse. Uh, caused a lot of turmoil in our lives. When uh, Logan uh, was born, the instances in which I gambled grew um, further and further apart, but a lot more furious. And um, had one particular instance where um, things were really bad. Um, and me and Elisa had been with me uh, through this for a decade now and had our son to think about. There were Christian people, a lot of people in our lives that were advising her to, um, to leave. And I know that had she done that at that point, um, I'd, be, I'd be dead today. Um, we were <laughs> about 30 days out from me losing, you know, uh, my car, my job, my uh, place where we lived, and, you know, me knowing that um, how much pain I would have put Lisa and Logan through by what would have happened had we separated at the time. I, I didn't know anything about what I should do or what the, the good mom thing to do was or even the good Christian thing to do. I just knew I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I knew I wanted to be faithful and, and that that was one of those moments that if I, you know, I either have faith in what God can do or I don't. And so I just, I knew that's what I wanted, I just didn't know what it was. Right at the beginning of when I kind of revealed to Lisa what, what had happened and the extent of it, um, we'd set up a meeting to meet with Caleb, uh, Pastor Caleb, who had married us. I was really surprised that it was Cameron's suggestion to meet with Caleb because at that point his relationship with God was not good. At that point, through my insanity, I got into a point where I couldn't really take advice from anybody. Well, after we met with, with Caleb, I had gone to Celebrate Recovery, and that night we were talking about whether or not we were actually even going to stay together. And there's one moment um, where I just saw her uh, heart soften and her submit and commit to stay with me, not because she believed in me, not because she um, trusted me, not because she thought that I was necessarily um, it's going to get better even, but because she really felt like that's what God was calling her to do, and she trusted Him. And uh, just seeing her act of faith, like literally seeing it in her eyes, um, no words could have done anything for me at that point. So uh, God changed my heart without a single word. <laughs> so I feel like we, you know, we had um, an honest-to-God miracle, you know, a subtle miracle, and that's been... Uh, a pivot point for the rest of our lives for us. And it's not just going to church or it's not just 
helping out really or serving or whatever you know I mean it has everything to do with who's in charge. It's definitely you know changed how we view everything, how we interact with each other, how we're raising our son. I'm so thrilled that, that we, you know, we read a Bible story with them and we pray with them every night. God's really given us a sense of purpose through it, um, a way to serve, a way to reflect Jesus and give back to the community, and that has been um, monumental, not just in our recovery, but as, as uh, <laughs> man and wife, you know, leading a ministry together. There's been a lot of work and revelation in our marriage and other things that uh, even though we had that amazing experience through God, um, you know, he's still doing a lot of amazing work through the work that we're doing here at DSBC. Well, I just wanted to uh, thank you guys so much for sharing your story with us. Um, and see, it's been so cool to watch how uh, God has uh, raised you up as leaders in Celebrate Recovery, and uh, we just wanted to share with you a little bit about Celebrate Recovery uh, as a ministry and maybe even some uh, ways that you can be involved. So Cameron, Lisa, tell us a little bit about uh, Celebrate Recovery, what's it all about, and how does it work? Well, thank you for having this. Um, Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step recovery program. Um, it's designed for anybody who is struggling or seeking peace and healing from, they say, life's hurts, ha habits, and hang-ups. So it's not necessarily just for substance abuse or even addiction per se. It's, um, we have people who come um, who are struggling with codependency, anxiety, depression, um, some people identify themselves as people pleasers. Um, just anything that is getting in one's way of their relationship with God um, and is taking Jesus off the throne. Mm -hmm. And when, uh, when do you meet and where? We meet at Desert Springs on Tuesday nights. Normally, um, we meet at 7. The men are in the student center. Um, that's the building closest to Tatum, and the women meet in the modular back behind the worship center. Normal Tuesday night meetings are at 7. The second Tuesday of every month, we meet at 6 o'clock in the student center for our Celebrate Recovery barbecue, and that's a really good um, opportunity to come and check it out because it's a little less formal. You get a little bit more chance at actual, you know, fellowship. We eat at 6, and... Um, then have some awesome worship and listen to a live testimony and then divide into men's and women's groups for an open share on that night. Childcare um, is always available on every Tuesday night, which has been a huge blessing for us. We, had to, <laughs> we went to a lot of Celebrate Recovery meetings when we first started and um, childcare really you know, made a difference of whether or not we could go together, so that was a big deal. Um, and then the third Friday of every month, we have our Celebrate Recovery Enrichment Night, which is something we're just starting to try out. But there are a lot of um, aspects to recovery that you don't necessarily think about when you're you know, just getting started. And um, a lot of these um, hang-ups and, and habits really get in the way of your self-care. And um, uh, Enrichment Night is 
um, supposed to kind of help with aspects that you don't normally think of. That's great. And I know that uh, if you guys are interested in those details, you can find them at the website that's up there on the screen. Cameron, uh, what are some of the things that you learned about Celebrate Recovery along the way as you've gotten involved and also stepped into leadership that would be helpful for us to know? Yeah, um, some things that I think are, you know, common uh, happy surprises for people. Uh, you know, people, I think, look at recovery programs and celebrate recovery maybe from the outside as um, for drugs and alcohol. Um, a little, little fun fact with that. So uh, at the, the church that started Celebrate Recovery, um, as people go through their step study program, which is a part of the, the program, uh, anonymously, they just tracked, you know, what people's hurts, habits, and hang-ups are there. And they've done, just at the, that campus, I think about 40,000 people have been through all the way through <laughs> over the years, Just awesome, praise God. And uh, in that time, uh, about two-thirds of the people um, weren't struggling from alcohol or drugs. Hmm. So, and that makes a lot of sense if you think about it, because there's, this, this is a place to find uh, a deeper connection with God and healing through, you know, um, a death in the family, a, a divorce, trouble trusting God with your finances, uh, issues you mentioned with work, um, abuse, uh, you know, compulsive gambling, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that, that's a common thing. Uh, another thing is uh, in secular recovery, you know, there's, there's AA and then there's like Al-Anon, right, for family members, uh, but we just have Celebrate Recovery. So a lot of people, I think, think that it's a ministry just for people who are struggling, uh, actively maybe acting out in a harmful way or whatever. Um, and uh, Celebrate Recovery is for everybody. They, they say um, at Saddleback Church, the people who started it, uh, there's, there's two potential prerequisites for, for joining Celebrate Recovery. One is that uh, you've been hurt by people. Uh, two is that you've hurt people, right? And so I think if we're being honest, all of us fall into uh, both of those categories, right? And so I don't know if that's what God's calling you personally right now um, to deepen your relationship with Him, to find help with your struggles, but I guarantee you anything that you're struggling with, Celebrate Recovery can be an answer to that. Hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, f furthermore, uh, I was involved off and on for years and struggled, and Lisa was very supportive of me, but when things really clicked for us is when we started going together, not, not uh, her going, you know, just to be supportive, right? Like, both of us working on what mm -hmm. was going on with us, and that's made a huge difference in everything in our, our marriage, our walk with God. That's so good. And what would you say uh, to those of us that maybe we've never been... We're thinking about it. Uh, we're considering going for the first time. What would you tell us? Well, I would say if you're considering coming, come. <laughs> and if you come, um, I challenge you to try and commit to come. We usually say to people to try and go to, to six weeks, six meetings, um, just to get a good feel for the program because we are a community group, right? And, uh, you know, people travel, and so you're going to meet different people. And really what at the heart of God doing that work in your life is making that personal connection with somebody, right? And beyond that, um, you know, uh, I think that there's kind of a, a misnomer out there. A lot of people, you know, I'm struggling really badly, but maybe that's not as far as I need to go, or, you know, I don't know about <laughs> that whole group. Um, and wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, you know, sadly, in our society, it's very rare to have an opportunity to just go with a group of people where you can share what's going on in your life, what you're struggling with, mm anonymously, and nobody's going to judge you, nobody's going to give you advice or whatever. So just for that alone, I think 
it's, for new people, I think it is a little alarming. Like sometimes people are like, whoa, uh, are people really like, you know, going off the, the, the deep end a little bit here. But I, I would challenge you guys in the sense that um, that's not the case at all. Our brokenness is everywhere. Uh, the difference is that we foster, and, and a lot of recovery ministries foster an environment where people are comfortable talking about those things. So it's just an open environment. And, ha and once that clicks, once just realizing that you can be open like that, uh, that's where the magic really starts to happen, where God starts working. So good. Yeah. yeah. So pray oh, for you guys. Oh, you oh got real, real quick. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So one other thing. So if if you guys heard, oh, I'd like to go, but Tuesdays don't work for me. Um, just as DSCBC is committed to the Big C Church, uh, we're we're committed to the bigger recovery community, right? Um, so if you guys can only come one week and get hooked up with Lisa and I, and we can just kind of show you the ropes, and we would love to work with you. We have a great um, connection with a lot of other CRs that work other nights. Um, we want people to find God. We want people to find healing. Mm. And even if that means that we uh, help them find a night that works for them or even a community where they feel more in sync, we're, we're overjoyed to help you guys out with that. Mm. That's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> Can I pray for you now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I was going to say a couple more. No, sorry. Did you guys join me as we pray? <laughs>